Hello, and um, uh, thanks for sticking it out. I know it's been a long day for a lot of you, so uh, welcome to uh, Deep Dive on back up to the AWS cloud. Um, my name's Isaiah Weiner. I'm a, a partner at SA Manager. Um, I work in the partner team, and that means that I work with a lot of our technology partners and some of our consulting partners. Um, today, we're going to talk about uh, backup and recovery uh, before the cloud and to the cloud, what changes. Um, maybe this seems cheesy, but um, has anybody ever had uh, a tape come back and the truck that was carrying it catch on fire? <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to animate the fire part, the blowing up part. <laughs> Um, uh, in, in fact, I spoke with somebody yesterday that that, that actually happened to, um, and I was laughing, and I felt kind of bad for laughing about it because you know it's a serious thing. Um, uh, what a great reason to get off tape. <laughs> that was never on my list. That's on my list now. Um, so you know, if you if you ever had a backup and recovery or backup and restore architecture, um, it usually uh, before the cloud it would look something like this, right? You have application servers. Maybe you're running an agent. Maybe you have some kind of sort of agentless setup. Um, there's a media server. The media server takes stuff off of it, sticks it onto local disk for for uh, the stuff that you're going to be um, you know keeping around for I don't know 30, 60, 90 days. Uh, you want to be able to do quick restores, and then you archive it off to tape. Tape goes uh, to a bunker somewhere or a mountain uh, via a truck. A few things have changed with the cloud. The first thing that changed was uh, there was this thing called a cloud gateway that was created. And um, applications didn't have to know how to talk to the cloud. You could use a cloud gateway to trick them into writing data there. Uh, this is actually still a, a widely um, applicable and useful use case um, because there's still a lot of really old software out there um, all over the place, right? So um, in, in, a, in a gateway scenario, um, you, would, um, you would simply write to a file system and that file system would go up to the cloud. Um, since then, software has gotten smarter. Uh, the smarter part is cloud connectors. So all kinds of software these days have cloud connectors. Everything from um, media uh, management and asset management software uh, writing directly to the cloud to backup and recovery software writing directly to the cloud. It's very rare these days to find an, uh, a, le a legitimate backup application that doesn't have a cloud connector. Everybody's going to the cloud. And it's not just for tape uh, retirement, but it's a great use case for it. Um, and so um, there's lots of ways to do it. There's ways to, uh, to optimize it using things like Direct Connect, using uh, special software to do things like dedupe. Um, here's a list of, of logos, really. But you know, if, if you don't see the software that you use for backup up there, I would be surprised. Please come up afterwards and tell me. I'd like to know what you're using. Um, so almost everything is up there, and there's there's you know fully blown solutions down to you know specific stuff that um, uh, you know is uh, around you know how do you get data off your old tapes, not just replacing your new tapes going forward. Um, so the cloud gateway component. There's AWS offerings, and then there's um, partner solution offerings. And so I'm going to talk about both of them, but this sort of gives you a high-level view of, of how they get deployed. Um, at the end of the day, uh, gateway appliances are tricking old software that doesn't know how to write to the cloud into writing to the cloud. So you, from a use case perspective, you have to ask yourself, is my software ever going to change? And if it isn't, this is probably a good place to invest uh, some energy. So we have the AWS storage gateway. 
And that has a number of different deployment mechanisms that we'll go over. Um, and then there's um, third-party solutions like the, the NetApp Altavault. Um, and all of these things sort of grew up in the world of I want to accelerate you know, putting backups to the cloud. And depending on your backup size and your internet bandwidth, uh, you know, you may not need anything special like deduplication or compression. But there's plenty of people out there who need other ingest mechanisms, and we'll cover some of those as well. Um, so as I mentioned, the AWS Storage Gateway has um, a few different deployment mechanisms. The first one is a, a file gateway. Uh, the second one uh, is a tape gateway. And a third one is a volume gateway. Um, so there's, uh, the way that you use them is all a little bit different. Um, the first one that got deployed actually was the volume gateway, and that presents an iSCSI LUN. Um, so if you have an iSCSI appliance uh, in, your, in your office or your data center environment, you'll know how to operate um, against that. It's a block device, which means you have to put a file system down on top of it um, if you want to put things like files there. Um, if you have something that manages block devices on its own, like DRM does it on its own, some databases do it on their own, um, then that's a great, a great way to, uh, to get your data up there. Another great feature um, uh, is the ability to take a snapshot of what's on the gateway that you've written on-prem, and, and that actually turns into an EBS snapshot, so you can recover that into an EBS volume. That's a feature that a lot of people make a lot of great use of. Um, and then uh, from the tape retirement perspective, uh, using the tape gateway, um, even though people don't really talk about uh, tapes that much anymore uh, with respect to the cloud, there's plenty of people out there who say, you know what, I actually really like the VTL model, the virtual tape library model. I like the fact that um, I'm going to be writing to, uh, to S3, and I like the fact that I'm going to be, uh, be able to archive uh, this stuff off to, uh, to Glacier. So if you'd asked me a couple of years ago what gateway I would recommend, I would ask you some questions. And if you had you know, anything even remotely approaching uh, like a Unix environment, I would say, oh, you know, you probably ought to consider um, something like an AltaVault because it's got, you know, an NFS interface and maybe you have a, a Windows requirement, it's got an SMB interface, and, and the fact that it presents these file systems makes things awfully convenient. Since the release of the file gateway, 98% of the customers that I see can use file gateway instead of anything else. It's super affordable. It has very uh, upfront and clear semantics for writing to, to S3. The files that you write into it just show up in S3 as objects, exactly the way that you wrote them. And that has a lot of advantages for system administrators. It has a lot of advantages for application programmers. Um, it has um, uh, a, a new feature, in fact, where you can sync uh, what's on, on the gateway. It's called Gateway Sync. You can sync it to, um, to EFS. Um, so there's, you know, when you think about sort of like your hybrid workflow, file gateway is, is really up the alley of most customers. Um, the typical semantics that you would expect from a file system, the way they get mapped to object behavior, um, it takes care of those things for you. I'll just give you an example. Let's say that you um, run the chmod command on a file. So you change mod the file. That's actually metadata that's associated with the object in S3. So in the background, the file gateway is going to create a new version of that object and change the metadata associated with it. If you had a file that you were concatenating data to, the file gateway is taking care of buffering that data in and, and creating a new version of the object with that new data set. So if you were to look at the contents of the, the different versions of an object, as you were concatenating data into it, you would see like when it starts out, it's small, and then it's larger, and then it's larger, and then it's larger. So all of those sorts of you know, traditional file system operations have to get mapped to a different set of behaviors, and File Gateway takes care of that for you in a really seamless manner. 
The other thing is that since it's talking directly to S3, um, for people who have uh, you know, uh, compliance-oriented things where they need to talk to a service endpoint, S3's got a lot of certifications. So um, for people who are concerned about things like HIPAA eligibility, um, uh, file gateway is a, a something that they're very interested in. Um, and then lastly, um, the things that, you know, once you get it into S3 with file, with, uh, file gateway, um, you can uh, apply things like lifecycle policies and cross-region replication, all those sorts of things. Um, the volume gateway was the first way that the uh, storage gateway was um, deployed. It was the first feature. Um, it's, it's been a number of years now, and it's actually gotten, uh, you know, quite fast and very stable. Um, it's really useful for customers uh, who uh, have block-oriented workloads, but they have enough on-premises infrastructure to provide a cache. Uh, and so Storage Gateway provides that cache for them. Um, but because it is block-oriented, uh, typically what you see is you see um, applications writing to those things. You don't necessarily see people just you know, putting files there. But it's a, it's a great way to do it. And as I mentioned earlier, the EBS snapshot creation um, via, uh, via uh, snapshots on the Storage Gateway um, is something that, that people uh, uh, really love. Uh, and then lastly, uh, with the tape gateway, you can manage your, your virtual tapes um, by sending them to S3 and then archiving them off uh, to Glacier. Um, so if it was on tape before, Glacier's a great place for it. Um, we see a number of trends. Uh, I'm just going to build these out here so we can, we can talk about them. Um, one of the trends that we see customers coming to us about is auditability becomes more and more something that they ask questions about. Um, when it comes to backup and recovery, a quote-unquote true backup is not just something that's point-in-time consistent. It's also indexed. It's searchable. You should be able to apply policies to it for things like search and hold. You should be able to generate a chain of custody report. And all of these uh, backup technology elements um, are things that people have to build. So when you look at your... Um, your uh, software package maybe that you deploy for your, uh, your backup solution, um, it might have the ability, for example, um, to do things like uh, legal search and hold, or it might integrate with another component. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, eVault is probably the, um, the classic example. Um, there's other solutions out there as well. Um, for example, Druva has uh, a search and hold component. Um, all of these things are made possible um, because somebody has integrated on top of it. You can do it yourself under the covers uh, by applying tags to objects. So if you have an internal backup application, for example, that isn't a third-party piece of software, and you're writing data into S3, you, you sort of need to think about ahead of time, I'm not going to bundle it all up uh, uh, in, you know, in some sort of container. I actually want to put all my stuff in S3 with as much granularity as is possible and apply as much tags as are, as are possible so that in the future, I can have the most flexibility for being able to handle things like GDPR, a major buzzword these days, um, and, um, and, and not just a buzzword, a serious issue, um, and, and uh, being able to get the, the auditability that people want. Um, there's a whole workflow around being able to use things like CloudTrail uh, entries and CloudWatch events, uh, Lambda um, uh, as well uh, for processing uh, tags, policies to say, you know, I'm not going to accept an object um, unless the tag is present. Uh, so you're only accepting legit data. And then once the data has been there, processing it as an event-driven architecture. Um, there's, there's work to be done uh, on behalf of, of, of you, the customer, um, when you want to take advantage of these things. But the payoff is enormous. Um, the ability to actually audit your backups, the ability to have protection from things like ransomware, um, 
we see a lot of people say things like, I want to use the cloud as an air gap environment. And the reason that they can apply that term to something like S3 is because through things like lifecycle policies, through things like event-driven architectures, through the ability to apply things like vault lock for data that's stored in Glacier, you can actually get great granularity and low cost, so therefore long-term retention uh, on a very large set of data, um, which is the general strategy for being able to overcome things like ransomware attacks. Uh, and then lastly, um, ingest is uh, uh, something that is getting highlighted a lot um, because people don't want to pay for things like MPLS clouds anymore. And frankly, they shouldn't have to unless, it's really, unless they're really making use of, of, of those kinds of, of functionality. What we see more often than not is we see people retiring um, their, uh, their direct links, uh, sometimes even, even direct connect, um, and just getting cheap transit bandwidth. Uh, and running multiple IPsec connections over that transit bandwidth. Because for most folks, um, the ability to get more bandwidth is more valuable than uh, you know, some sort of uh, SLA on a circuit for, for, for things like uptime. Um, and that brings us actually to ingest. So uh, we have, um, I would say, um, more now than ever demand for things like Snowball and Snowball Edge. And obviously, everybody wants to use a snowmobile even though uh, we don't all have that size data set. Um, uh, seeding as ingest is something that um, comes up a lot for folks who have spent uh, literally decades investing in things that weren't outgoing bandwidth. There's, uh, in fact, uh, uh, later today after this uh, and, and several times this morning, I met with customers who are using Snowball Edge to seed, but they're not just using it to seed. Because of the cost-effective nature of Snowball Edge and the fact that you can get them in a cluster, they're even using them to combat uh, their own capacity challenges. It's very inexpensive to get a snowball, but it's even less, uh, uh, even less expensive, even more inexpensive, um, to retain it for a fairly long period of time. Um, so there's a, there's, you know, there's a per day charge for, uh, for jobs beyond um, the initial amount. Um, but what, what people have calculated is that it's actually cheaper than their primary storage. And so people will order two sets of snowballs, and they'll put all the data on both and then they'll send back one. And when it's been received and it's been accepted uh, and it's in, in, in reconciled in S3, um, then they'll order another one. So they'll only have one while it's, back, while it's been sent, sent to AWS. Um, so they order, they order another one so that they're now back to two. Uh, and the data that they've, um, the data set that's changed gets sent uh, back to AWS with the one that they had kept originally. So there's this trade-off uh, or pairing uh, with the relay. It's like a relay where you have, you know, you order two, you send one back, you order another one, now you've got two again. You send one back, you order another one, now you've got two again. So you might ask yourself, this is complicated, why do this? Well, the fact is, is that it's cheaper than spending money on CapEx stuff. It's cheaper than if you're at, you know, your maximum or borderline capacity for your infrastructure, for your backup uh, uh, workloads. It's cheaper than actually going in and, and expanding um, those infrastructure. Um, you know, it's really not uncommon to see uh, purpose-built backup appliances go for you know a million dollars plus. Um, so uh, uh, Snowball Edge is peanuts by comparison. And so we have um, a couple of, of, of partners actually who um, have specialized and have been uh, launch partners with us for uh, for Snowball Edge. Um, so when Snowball Edge got an S3 interface, um, all of a sudden that cloud connector model became something that could be um, uh, repurposed. Right? It could be used for 
uh, not just for talking directly to S3, but it could also be used for, for sending uh, the data in, in, uh, uh, via Snowball Edge. Um, and so uh, their logos are up on the screen. Um, so when you ask yourself, well, you know, should I use one of those? The answer really is, if you do the math on how much data you have versus how much connectivity you have, and it's insufficient to keep up with your rate of growth, uh, then the answer is yes, Snowball Edge is probably for you. Uh, in fact, there's plenty of people who will never be able to keep up with the amount of data that they're generating because it's just not in the cards for um, the way that uh, fiber is laid out where they happen to be. Um, this is true for folks in microscopy. This is true for folks in manufacturing environments. People who are in rural locations that don't necessarily have a lot of IT infrastructure, very often it's the case that uh, continually using uh, Snowball is the way that they, they uh, get their backups offsite uh, in a way that is more uh, durable uh, than, um, and more reliable than tape. Um, so we're going to hear from a customer today. Um, I'm going to uh, introduce him, but before I do that, uh, I want to talk about the, uh, the partner that he's going to be relaying his experience about. Um, there's a lot of building blocks that we make for customers, and it's very often the case that customers put them together uh, and it satisfies all of their needs. It's sometimes true that they need help. And so um, a while back, there was a company called Druva, and they created a backup and restore as a service uh, uh, product. And when I say as a service, what I mean is it's all in on AWS. All of the customer data that Druva uh, receives from their customers uh, ends up in S3, and all of the metadata associated with those backup jobs ends up in DynamoDB. So if you were to think about, well, if I was going to go build this thing, how would I do it on AWS? That's what it looks like. It looks exactly like what you would do if you were going to go do it. The difference is, is that they already did it, and you don't have to. That makes things easy. So, um, so it's agent-based. They have two, um, uh, two product lines. One's called Phoenix. One's called InSync. Uh, InSync is uh, uh, sort of a consumer platform-oriented, so uh, laptops and desktops and tablets and phones. Uh, and then Phoenix is more server-oriented. So um, in the scenario where customers say to, to us, well, you know, gosh, it'd be fantastic if um, I had, you know, VMware Site Recovery Manager or something like that. How can, I, how can I look at this from the perspective of my whole virtualization infrastructure? I want to just sort of pick it up and move it uh, into AWS. Um, there are a lot of solutions to do that, but none of them without any infrastructure except for Druva. Um, and when I say without any infrastructure, I mean without any infrastructure that you have to manage. Um, and so that's um, very much aligned with uh, sort of the AWS way of creating services. You know, our goal is to um, simplify and add value for customers. And so when we create services, uh, we try really hard to make sure that um, we're not, you know, creating uh, additional overhead for customers. We want things to be easy to adopt. So um, sort of at a glance, uh, Druva is really about um, protecting the data, getting it uh, off, the, off the boxes. Um, giving you uh, policy-based management uh, and things like uh, legal hold and, and chain of custody reporting, um, and also giving you the ability to, to know what's there. Um, a classic example of knowing what's there is uh, you have users who maybe created a bunch of data and then they left the company. By backup standards, that's orphan data. What's your data retention policy for orphan data and how do you associate uh, the fact that that, cust or that, that that user has left your infrastructure um, how, how do you account for that? Does that show up in your reports? Um, if you go and look at your backup reports at the moment, do you have a number that tells you what percentage of your data happens to be orphan? Um, if you uh, have some sort of litigation, um, do you have an easy way 
uh, that will, uh, an easy way to not only search the backup data, um, but mark it for hold, even in a scenario where somebody might have tried to delete stuff. Uh, and so Druva makes that very easy as well. Um, traditionally, if you wanted to do that, you would have to work with a number of different software components, and maybe they would work together, and maybe they wouldn't. Um, a, a lot of the um, search and hold stuff applies to email, and it doesn't apply to normal data. Uh, and so uh, it's important to sort of look at this more holistically. Um, so they can pull from lots of different um, data sources, uh, and the ability for them to actually use data sources that are in the cloud as well means that even after you uh, protect the data that's on-prem, as your workloads shift, um, or as you create new workloads that might be cloud-based, uh, you can continue to protect the data from there too. Um, and so the advantage there, obviously, is that since they're already in the cloud, uh, it simplifies the uh, not only the security model, but the cost model as well. Um, so please... Uh, uh, I, I welcome Jason to you. Uh, <laughs> give him a round of applause if you like. Takes a lot of guts I think to they get like, up there. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of energy. That's a lot of energy. If we did that again Thursday, I don't, I don't think there'd be that much energy. It kind of feels like Thursday to me, honestly. It's like, man, I feel like we're going to wrap this up and go to the replay party. And, uh, but that's not it. We've got a couple more days. Um, everybody doing OK? I appreciate you hanging out and, and uh, staying late for us today. Um, my name's Jason Craddett. I'm Senior Director of Technology for a company called TRC. I venture to guess not many of you have heard of TRC, and, and that's fine. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about us. We are um, not a technology company today. Uh, we've been around for about 50 years and really focused in design engineering, uh, you know, real engineering for you know, uh, energy and utility customers. Think about power lines and distribution lines and and we have four main sectors, energy is certainly one of them, the, the power distribution and engineering group, and then infrastructure, we roads and bridges and highways, and, and then oil and gas, you know, looking at um, pipelines and pipeline facilities, design and engineering that. Not a lot of technology, really. Um, our product is our data, and, and so our, we, we really care about protecting it, and, and you know, we never have a, you know, trucks catch on fire, but we certainly had, uh, uh, it's important. It's uh, certainly an important part of our business, something we put a lot of effort into to, to back up and manage our data. But it's not strategic, right? It's something we have to do, not something we get to do and help create revenue or something like that. So, so we started looking at uh, our, our, all of our sites and, and you know, we've got about 120 sites across the U.S. and then one in London and, and around 4,500 employees. And, and what's interesting about our employees is that they're not all in these offices. You know, a lot of these offices could be in the middle of a field, quite literally, uh, close to a physical asset that they're designing or engineering or, or working on. So these are guys with muddy boots and hard hats and, and, and guys like that. That's my user base. Uh, it's a little different um, than probably a lot of you. So... Our business grows uh, over the last 50 years. It's grown primarily through acquisition. We'd go buy, you know, 40 to 50 person company and kind of roll them in. And what's interesting about when you do a lot of acquisitions is you get all their luggage, right? You have to bring all their stuff with them. Um, so we'd, we'd open up new regions, uh, like in the, the Southwest or in the Northeast or, or wherever, depending on where our customers is. We want to get closer to our customers or we'd or acquire a business unit and roll them in. So we'd get that, we'd get all their luggage, we'd get new backup solutions. You know, they have different tape standards or they'd have different server infrastructures and different tape libraries and all these problems that, that you know, we have to think about. How do we standardize? How do we bring them into the fold? 
But we also focus a lot on organic growth. You know, we, we'd start to open up closer to our customers. We'd put a small four, four or five person, you know, office out in, you know, the, the Northwest, and then we'd start to grow more organically through that. So we have more data, more servers, new sites, and, and, and really in our space, um, we're seeing more and more regulatory requirements uh, around uh, FERC and DOT and, and groups like that that are focused on making sure we protect our customers' data because it's about how their infrastructure assets are built. It's like oil and gas pipelines. They're, they're kind of important. So the challenges that that creates for us is that we had all these different backup solutions. You know, we had a great acquisition team. They would go in and they would integrate companies and they would start to you know, make us one big TRC family. But we, we always had these extra solutions sitting out there. And, and, and we had, I think, you know, upwards of eight or nine different systems. And I say eight or nine, um, you know, it could be different versions, right? We could have like backup exec eight, six, and 10. And, and you know, we had all these different things across our enterprise. And, and, and again, it's not really a strategic part, strategic part of our business. It's something we had to do, not something we get to do to make money. And we had a ton of deprecated assets, right? Nobody likes, uh, our CFO certainly never liked saying, sure, let's buy a new tape library, or let's you know, take those LTO3s and move them into LTO4s. I mean, that's not a great conversation to have with your CFO. It's just not a strategic one anyway. And there was a ton of administrative burden to look at all these different things, uh, all these different solutions, and how we could you know, manage and maintain and support, and who's going to restore and do the backup. So we knew, and it was pretty obvious, right? We got to do something. We, we had to change the way we think. So, so we started with you know, the main strategy. And the strategy was, hey, this cloud thing, we got to do it, right? We're not a technology company. We're kind of afraid of the cloud. But, but let's just say we're going to move to the cloud. Let's say we're going to do that. We're, let's going to move our backups to the cloud. What does that even mean? It could mean that it's an infrastructure as a service problem, right? We're going to build an EC2 instance, and we're going to you know, put some backup software on it, and we're going to put some agents over here, push to that, and then the EC2 instance is going to write to S3. And we could build that or go through File Gateway or, or um, Storage Gateway or any of those things. We could do that. We could manage that. Or we could just go full SaaS, right? Just a big solution. We install agent, configure the policy, and start running. And, and we started thinking about how do we do that? What else? You know, we know we want cloud. We know we want uh, you know, to move in that direction. But what else? Well, we knew we needed bandwidth throttling. As I mentioned, we have a lot of sites in the middle of nowhere. Our lowest site has, about, has a 768K connection. It's about 25 people in that office. And, and they still needed to do things like email and Facebook and YouTube. I mean, those are important parts of the business, obviously. <laughs> but, but we also needed to do backups. So we didn't want to you know, uh, obstruct the backups and, 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 and cause their emails to be delayed and those kind of things. So we knew we needed bad, bandwidth throttling so that we could say only use this much data. Uh, we also needed a centralized dashboard, right? We needed one solution they go to and you just focus and say, okay, you know, where's this server? How much is backed up? Was it successful? I needed to restore and all those kind of things, right? But we, all, we also have those four sectors, right? Environmental, oil and gas, and things like that. And we wanted to delegate more responsibility into the users, right? We wanted a simple solution where users, you know, power users, not muddy boots and hard hat guys, but you know, engineers that kind of know what's going on in the world. And we wanted to say, give us some role-based permissions, right? So we could say they have the ability to do a restore, but they cannot change the policies, right? They can see backup success and support, but they can't change any of the retention rules, things like that. And also, you know, security was a big deal for us. We, we, didn't, we weren't quite comfortable in the cloud. We still had a, a lot of concerns and regulatory you know, 
concerns around moving to the cloud. So we decided, you know, security was a big deal. How are we going to secure and uh, encrypt the data and all those kind of things? You know, so so what we did was, uh, you know, remember we're we're not very agile. So we decided to take five different solutions and we said, let's try them. You know, all sorts of different solutions. From, you know, in the infrastructure realm, where we had to go and put an EC2 server out there with a connector to S3 or, or uh, a VTL system and, and then agents. And we started to look at how we could do that. And we, and we did it. And we did five different solutions, including the SaaS uh, uh, you know, with Druva. And we did that for 45 days on live data. And we said, what are we going to, who cares, right? So, so it works. We backed up data five different ways. What are we, what's success look like at the end of this? And success looked like to us, uh, certainly cost, right? Again, backups weren't a strategic part of our business. We just had to do them. We want to make sure we can get the data when, when things happen and, you know, things go wrong and we want to restore it. So cost was important to a point of we didn't want to pay more than we had to uh, for that service. We also wanted speed. We wanted to be able to you know, shorten our backup windows if possible. We wanted to, uh, to look at how we could um, you know, scale the solution, even at those smaller 768 sites, 768K 70, sites, you know, with a terabyte, and how long is that going to take to back up, and those kind of things. And then we also looked at just success, right? Did, did it work? <laughs> could we restore if we needed to? Uh, and we looked at all these things. And, and obviously, you know, we, we started to look towards an implementation plan. We, trove, we chose uh, Druva Phoenix as our product. And what we did was we had all these sites, and you know, I, I couldn't, every green dot you see there is, uh, is a site we have across the US. Um, but I didn't want to put a truck and a tape at all of those. But certainly, we had that infrastructure across the country. So we started to just take it and say, OK, let's move off, move those to the cloud, and, and then we'll move these to the cloud, and we'll move these to the cloud. And now we have one solution with Druva Phoenix across our entire organization. No tape libraries, no trucks, no multiple consoles to manage, one place to go, one place to log in. Uh, and it's been really, really interesting. You know, we've, we've implemented Druva probably about a year ago. Uh, and you know, when we started, we had about you know, 45 days in, we went through that POC, we got to keep it, right? We just kind of flipped the switch and turned it on, and now that's ours. And we started about, we had about 20 terabytes of storage, and now we're, we're somewhere around 100. Uh, and then we started with about 20 servers through our POC, and now we're at you know, around 120. Um, and a lot surprised us over the years, right? One of the surprises was uh, you know, we didn't go in with this idea that we needed deduplication. But what we found was we needed deduplication, right? We didn't really think about it. Um, but it has saved us a ton of money in the, uh, in, in the long run, really. Um, so we're not storing as much. If you just go the other route and you're just backing up straight to S3 and you back up the raw data and you're doing you know, weekly fulls and you know, daily differentials or incrementals and those kind of things, you have to think about all the costs that that adds up to, right? And, and, and when you go into something like Druva, you're only focused on the dedupe rate. You're only focused on you know, the two to one is what we're getting and, and how much storage that's going to be over time. And we were really surprised by that. We had never really thought about deduplication or, or how it would impact our data, but it saved us a ton of money over the, over the course. Also, this always incremental thing. I mean, it was, uh, there was a large arguments in our office around, would this even work? I mean, we have to do a full eventually, right? Uh, with Druva, you don't. You, you run incrementals every day. Um, and again, this is an important uh, cost perspective as well, because it, when, you, when you start to look at and forecast your cost metrics, Think about every time, every week, you do a full, and you have to keep that full for a month, and every or, or six months, or whatever your retention policies are. Um, 
and that adds, you know, to your data, right? Now you've got on a terabyte, you know, every week, or you do a full backup, now you have four terabytes in a month, not just the one. In Druva, you, you just have the one terabyte, right? And, and in fact, you probably have closer to 500 in our case, 500 gig, because of the deduplication. And, and the last surprise I would say is that we, we were able to forecast our metrics much, much better. We can now predict our cost for backups way more efficiently than we could before. You know, before, we, yeah, tapes go bad, or, or we need to you know, cycle in and out tapes, and, and you, know, you don't really budget and plan for those things very well. Or, or we certainly didn't, maybe you guys do. Um, so we, need, we, we can now do that much more effectively, and we can start to predict how much we're gonna spend on backups. You know, perhaps the last surprise, I, I, it's not on the slide, but I wanna bring it up, is you know, we implemented five different solutions for 45 days. And what's interesting to me was during that time, there were software vendors out there that would say, here's our software, no problem, you have it for a month or 30 days or whatever, go. Um, and then there was Druva, which, which was, honestly, it was more of a white glove service, right? They, they were with us, it was more of a partnership, it was very collaborative about helping us understand the paradigm shift we were looking at in our backups and, and how we were executing these things. And it, it was very collaborative, and, and I really appreciated their, their helping us through that. But really, the, the important thing to think about is the real results. And our real results were around 60% in our operating uh, OPEX uh, reduction. And what that looks like is we don't spend as much time executing backups. We don't have tape libraries to, to manage and tapes to buy and, and trucking vendors to worry about and where do I store all these tapes and all those kind of, all that's just gone, it disappeared. And we've saved, I didn't want to put a real number because I'd be embarrassed, but we'll say over 100K in, in capital, uh, CapEx uh, saved. And that's things like, do we replace that server? Do we replace that you know, um, tape library? Those kind of things. But probably the most important to us is that we save time. Backups are not a strategic part of our business. And, and we had a team of people trying to manage where backups were and are they successful and when will, when will they be finished and who can do restore. Well, we don't have that anymore. You know, we were looking to hire people to help support this archaic system, and now we're looking to reutilize these guys to help with our acquisitions and, and build out uh, you know, better infrastructures for us. And really, it's pushed us more into this idea of, do we need infrastructure on-prem at all? We started to really ask that question. Backups were kind of our crown jewel. Data is our, data is our deliverable to our customers. So we started to wonder, do we need this at all? So, where we go from here is, uh, you know, I've talked a lot about Druva Phoenix, uh, and Druva Phoenix, you know, is really meant for servers and, and, and backing up those things. So we've started to look at, we've got these 4,500 people sitting in the field in trailers with laptops and cell phones and things like that, and we've said, man, what if they don't copy it to the server? I mean, maybe your users are better than mine, but mine certainly don't put data on the server every time they need to. So we started to look at, well, could we do that? And, and would that help us in our deduplication rates? And, and certainly it looks like it would. We've also kind of changed our acquisition strategy. We no longer need to focus on um, moving backup systems. Instead, we'll pick up a Snowball Edge and we'll throw it in their office. Now, the Snowball Edge with Druva is not official. It's not done yet. Uh, we've been lucky enough because of our partnership with them to get to play with some of their cool new tools and toys, uh, and I appreciate that. But um, now we can just go and drop the Snowball Edge in, suck in their data, ship it to the cloud, and now we've got a copy of our acquisition right there live. But, but remember, I said we're also focused on, do we need infrastructure at all? You know, we open up these sites all over the US, and there's this idea that 
maybe we don't need a server in every office, right? What if we just implemented something like Amazon Workspaces, pushed everybody to the cloud and through a VDI environment, had one file server with many uh, workspaces, and, and we backed up those, and we backed up the file server using Druva Phoenix. Um, but now we have no infrastructure. And when a site, you know, we're working in oil and gas, when oil and gas tanks or it doesn't do very well, um, we need to close offices. And unfortunately, those kind of things happen. We don't have extra hardware and servers and things like that sitting at, at those sites. So we, we started to, to really open our eyes to the possibilities of going all in cloud just for a design engineering company. And probably, you know, I'd lastly, I'll mention some of the lessons learned. You know, when we went through this process, we went through five, right? And, and we're an old school design engineering company focused in energy and utilities, right? Um, and when I say energy and utilities, I don't mean like upstream oil and gas where they have all the money, the Exxons of the world. Um, I mean midstream and downstream oil and gas, which is more pipeline and storage. There's no money in that, uh, you know, today. It's a very commoditized service, fairly well regulated. Um, so I start to think about, you know, should we have gone to five different solutions? Should we have just said, that looks good, let's go SaaS, and, and now we you know, move on? You know, why did we look at, try to do it ourselves? Um, and that was just a maturity thing, I think, in our world. And, uh, and I think that uh, you know, moving forward, we start to look at just, just implement SaaS solutions for us. You know, let, let the experts at backups, in this case, manage backups so we don't have to. Just like you would email or VoIP or any of those other things that you might have to manage. Let the experts manage it so you can focus on things that are more effective for your business and more, more things that matter for your business and how you make money. So I'm going to turn it back over to Isaiah now. Thanks, Jason. Finish up the. Thanks, appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, good job, man. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we struggle with, like, you know, what's the right kind of customer to get in front of, of the rest of the customers, right? You know, is it, is it a customer who saved $100 million or is it something maybe a little bit more relatable? Um, not everybody is a technology company is, uh, I guess, the net net of it for me. Um, and um, not everybody has the time or inclination to, um, to figure out how to put the Legos together uh, properly. Um, and so having SaaS applications um, makes that part easy. Um, now, uh, for folks who um, will never be able to get away from Legos, we have the best Legos. Uh, so, um, and, a, and a lot of them. So there's great ways for, um, from, from a workflow perspective for people to be able to glue things together. Um, not the least of which um, is uh, Storage Gateway now you know, has um, uh, CloudWatch event uh, integration and, and there's, there's great workflows that can, that can happen there. Um, actually, I, I wanted to mention something that is totally unrelated to the, the content here. Does anybody like Star Trek? Um, Druva brought Brent Spiner. They're, he's at their booth, and he's going to hang out with them at their party. So if you want to meet Data, um, check out their booth <laughs> after this. I'll be going. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, we have a, a storage training curriculum, and we're working on a cert program for folks as well um, so that you can get uh, trained up and, and certified, actually, um, based on the um, uh, the uh, the services that we offer. So, for example, um, it, you know the the concept today around things like um, you know uh, DevOps and, and and engineering and and being like a you know a certified uh, solution architect um, with the different levels. Um, you know, we never really had anything that was storage specific. It was an element of things, um, but it but it but it didn't really focus on storage. So now we have a, a training curriculum that's um, being built around that. So if you're if that's something that interests you, I would encourage you to to check it out. There's uh, three panels behind me about that, um, and then um, uh, I'll stick around uh, to answer questions, but not too long because we got to go see data. 
Uh, and um, we actually have uh, a bunch of partners in the audience. If you guys are interested in talking with them, we um, we have Druva, we have Store Reduce, we have. Um, if you're a partner, you'll you know you'll see their like green you know the green exhibitor uh, uh, lanyard. Um, you know, just read their badge and see where they're from. Um, there's uh, there's plenty of people out there who are purists and say you know I'm gonna only use you know native AWS stuff. Um, we we know that there that there sometimes there are gaps because everybody has a different scenario and it, it's true in everything it's true in HPC it's true in enterprise storage it's true in backup and recovery um, the only thing it isn't really true for is if you have like an app that was invented in the last five years and it's totally AWS based um, so if you if if that's your world you're so lucky. Uh, if it's not your world, if you have compliance issues, if you have um, tape that you're trying to get rid of, if you have on-prem on backups and complicated infrastructures, if you have 73 net backup domains that you'd like to consolidate, um, you know these are these are all things that um, uh, that uh, our partner solutions can help with, um, and uh, integrating with AWS can help sort of get it all in one in one spot. So, um, thanks for sticking around uh, as long as you have. I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the week. Um, thanks for making reInvent the best year yet. Thanks.